TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host, Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, you know, when we record, I see your room there. You've got all these figures and posters and all. But I think you made the perfect choice today pulling out that Marauder Mo action figure. Well, you know, I figured this was the time, uh, and he comes with flicking whip action, and so which is so. I mean, I I couldn't believe that they they kept that because you know it really is an eye hazard. You could really put somebody's eye out. But unlike you know the rocket launching Boba Fett that they didn't allow <laughs> exactly. to come out in production, flipping whip action, okay. <laughs> I was exactly thinking about the rocket firing yes, Boba Fett. Yes. <laughs> and now now I'm picturing a package with a circle up in the corner that says flicking whip action. <laughs> may cause eye injury. That's right. And this may be the most entertaining part of the discussion today as we talk about acquisition. The first season episode of Enterprise where they decided to bring the Ferengi aboard for some reason. If you don't remember the story, here's a quick rundown. When a group of space bandits find the Enterprise adrift in space and board the ship, one thing is immediately noticeable. They have huge ears. That's right. They are Ferengi. And the year is 2151, some 213 years before first contact with humans, as seen in the last outpost. With the crew unconscious, the aliens begin looting the ship. Once they wake Archer, they find themselves in a battle of wits as the Captain, Trip, and T'Pol work to free the ship of Ferengi greed. So the question, Matthew, is who has the lobes to win? We're going to find out as we talk about acquisition. And let's just start off with the Ferengi. The decision to bring the Ferengi to Enterprise, especially doing it in the first season, I would say it's pretty questionable. And most fans, they just remember this episode as the one with the Ferengi. And when I look at it, I think, yep, they put together an all-star cast. That's for sure. But how do you feel? Does it overshadow anything that the episode might have going for it? You know, I mean, look, this is one of those places where, you know, fans you know, oh, well, I, I I think I know what happened, so this yeah. couldn't possibly happen. And I don't know why fans sound like that. But um, it's not true. Like, just because it seemed like the last outpost was the first time that they met humans, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the first time that we ran into these aliens and just didn't know it, which is exactly right. what happens in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... You know, with the translation problems we have, we'll talk about a little bit later and everything. I just think this is that that's not really the biggest issue. Now, I do think that it would have been much more interesting if they had run into Tellarites, Tellarite pirates. Yeah. Or something like that. I I don't think that this was the place where you needed to add the Ferengi. Uh, I do kind of feel as though, and I I don't want to, this is not to meant to sound rude, but I feel like, 
this is a bit of laziness here. Um, we're just going to kind of pick an alien that we're really familiar with, mm-hmm. and we're going to use that. And this is kind of one of those places where I feel as though if somebody like Manny Cotto had been around, he would have said, no, 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 this needs to be Tellarites or, you know, another alien race from the original series that would feel much more a part of this time period than yeah. the Ferengi. And so I don't think it is a huge issue. I just do think it's kind of indicative of the entire episode, which I would just say is sadly it's just boring. It's it's not there's not a, it's not very interesting. It's it, there's very little that happens in here that you really learn. I mean, there's some fun things, so I guess about the characters getting to play against type a little bit, especially with the Paul getting to play act, right. which is kind yeah. of fun, but otherwise, I I think it's it's not the Ferengi that are a problem. It's really just that it's a very blase episode. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the reasons for that as we go along. Sticking with the Ferengi, one thing I noticed, okay, rewind. When this first came out, my reaction was, really, the Ferengi? Why are we having the Ferengi on Enterprise? Mm -hmm. And as you know, I'm not one of those people who thinks that, well, in the last outpost, they met Ferengi for the first time. Therefore, it's not possible for them to ever run into Ferengi. I'm not that kind of person. Uh, of course, uh, especially after the the first missions here of the NX-01, that 213 years between this moment and when the last outpost happens, there are lots of humans out in space. And so, yeah, certainly, most likely, someone has encountered Ferengi be- before. That's just like the first official contact as we might call it. So it wasn't so much I was thinking that way, but I was feeling like this is a prequel show and the Ferengi are an alien race that when we see them, we really think about the shows that we've just watched. You know, Voyager had just ended and Ferengi did appear on Voyager a couple of times. There's the False Prophets episode, mm-hmm. which was all about the Ferengi, which I thought was actually a, a clever tie-in to the next generation in having them be there. I thought that was done well. And then, of course, with DS9 having ended not too long before this, we're very accustomed to seeing Ferengi all the time. And so I think that was probably the reason for my first reaction. And then as we were preparing for this discussion and I was watching this episode... It really stood out to me in the interactions between Archer and the Ferengi, how I started feeling like I was watching two eras of Star Trek interacting with one another. Like, it felt like Archer is the new Star Trek, and then he's talking back to the series before his which is disjointed on the timeline. It just felt kind of odd to me, the interactions. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that more this time. It's something I haven't really paid much attention to in the past. So I think the use of the Ferengi, depending on the viewer, depending on the time that you're watching it, maybe your mood at the moment, has an effect on the story and whether it pulls you out of the story or pulls you into the story So for that reason, I think 
using Ferengi here was not a great choice in the first season. Yeah, I think uh, the way that you describe that really fits, partly too because, you know, these Ferengi, I guess they're trying to make them feel a little bit like the last outpost Ferengi, you know, with the laser whip and all that. In the beginning they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, And yet, by the time we get to the middle of the episode it just feels like all the ferengi we knew from deep space nine so it really yeah so it really doesn't work i think in that perspective and so if we're going to question kind of like continuity about meeting the characters and having them feel correct for this time period this isn't even a question like the uh, um i think the vulcans really i think this is definitely more of a question of from what we know the Ferengi probably shouldn't feel like this because they didn't until Deep Space Nine, which really fleshed them out. And I, you know, maybe again, that's one of those things where it's like, well, maybe Ferengi were always more like this, or maybe they just had different sex. Of, I mean, you could, you could, you could make up all sorts of things, but I, yeah. I do a hundred percent agree that by putting the Ferengi in here again, it just, it does kind of feel just a little bit, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's not like n- none of the episodes have felt like that yet where you just got to an episode and you're just like, oh man, like what, what's going on here? <laughs> um, but I think this is for me. And, and again, this is not to like, just try to tear anything down or, or be rude or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But this really did feel like a complete filler episode where everybody yeah. kind of like, except for the actors who are doing their dang this here like everything else about the script and all feels completely phoned in right the actors did a fantastic job yeah you know we've got of course jeffrey combs back we've got ethan phillips and who did have a chance to actually play a fringy on voyager incredibly Mm -hmm. we've got clint howard from the original series and then also the uh, DS9 episode that he was in. And then we've got Matt Malloy. And they're all people who have been on Star Trek before. And it was right. really like an all-star cast. <laughs> like it's the yeah, Ferengi yeah. all-star team. And they all do a fantastic job. But the question of what were Ferengi really like in this time period is a really interesting one. And the way that I've always thought about it is that the Ferengi that we see on DS9, to me, are the Ferengi, and they were probably like that during this time period as well. That's my headcanon, my feeling. Sure. And that the ones that we saw in the last outpost and the ones that, the way that these Ferengi are behaving at the beginning of this episode, these are outliers. Like, these are the bandits. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that go around and... Oh, yeah, yeah. Try to make profit by looting ships, and that's just my headcanon for that. So, but, but no, it doesn't really. That's really good. And it makes, it makes it make more sense. And again, I think, yeah, we, I think the problem with Star Trek in general is that it had trained us to kind of see races as mono races. Yeah, exactly. And, You know, it wasn't really again till Deep Space Nine where they began to try to get us out of that mold. And I think, mm-hmm. in, in all honesty, that's really the only show that did that really well until you got to Enterprise. And we started to do that with, 
the Vulcans. So I think this what what makes this a frustrating episode is that so far Enterprise has done a very good job of trying to not fall into the trap of just kind of doing rote Star Trek. And I think that's the thing yeah. that this episode really just comes across as is kind of a rote episode that could happen in literally any season of any Star Trek show pretty much. You know, you, you really could have this happen, you know, it, it, it makes it easier well, because the NX-01 is so much smaller, but at the same yeah. time, this kind of thing really could, it just feels like it could happen in any of the shows. Well, you could easily have had Ferengi who ended up in the Delta Quadrant and they find Voyager adrift and they come aboard and they try to loot the ship. You, you could have done that and it would have worked, I think, almost as well. The only reason it wouldn't have worked equally as well is probably that, well, how did the Fringy get the Delta Quadrant? But that's also easily explained away. Just going back quickly to the your comment about Star Trek doing stories where or training us to see alien cultures as monoliths, it is a side effect of the the storytelling where the alien culture is supposed to represent one aspect of humanity so that we can tell a story and have allegory for right. social commentary. You know, that's the reason that it's like that. And I think that what you see in early enterprise here is the franchise struggling to really break out of that. And like mm-hmm. you said, for the most part in season one of enterprise, I think they do a nice job of it, but they can't get it right all the time because they're still in the process of trying to reshape mm-hmm. storytelling within the Star Trek framework. Well, and there, this season, and I think if there's, if there's anything that I would ping the first few seasons about is their, their almost fear of connecting to anything TOS wise. And obviously mm-hmm. season four just blows out of the water. They're like, no, screw it. We're going to, we're going to do what we should have been doing in the first place from the beginning. And so this is one of those places where I think that feels the most evident mm-hmm. because before this, you know, what they have been doing, I think has felt fine to me and, and felt right on brand with exploring space for the first time and everything like that. And maybe not necessarily trying to lean too heavy into any kind of connections as you try to create our own thing. But this is the first episode where you, you do, you're, you're pulled out because it is the Ferengi and you're like, well, maybe this would have at least been more interesting if it had been a race that we really never spent any time with. Like, again, the Tellarites or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that... I put it at the end of our outline because it's not there's not enough in here to really get into a big discussion unless we want to completely move away from the story. But the fact that there is this commentary in here about greed and a drive to acquire things and Archer tells Krim that that kind of thinking almost destroyed human civilization. I think that there was this idea in this story to have a bit of commentary early in the timeline of mm-hmm. of the Star Trek future about how humans have moved away from money, greed, acquisition. And if you're going to do that, and you're going to do it in a way that Star Trek fans can already connect with, the Ferengi are the race. I mean, we talk about monolith races that represent one aspect of humanity. Well, the Ferengi are the ones who represent 
that aspect of humanity mm-hmm. within Star Trek. So maybe the thinking was, yeah, let's bring them in. We can tell this story. The problem is the story never gets around to telling that. There are only a few comments made by Archer, and then it moves on to them outwitting the Ferengi. Talking about tying into TOS, though, I will say in terms of feel and tone, the second half of this episode where they are coming up with their plan to outwit the Ferengi, that felt like an original series episode to me. I could easily see Kirk and Spock and Bones and them all doing this and Scotty would be involved and I can Mm -hmm. see them doing this to outwit aliens who had come aboard the ship or they're down on a planet and they've been captured and they need to escape. So in that sense, this is maybe one of the most TOS feeling episodes in the first few seasons of Enterprise for me. Yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying there. And I think you are right on target with that. And I do think that possibly the the lack of really kind of digging into what Archer says is is maybe one of the downfalls of the episode because it, mm-hmm. it could have been more interesting if they had really kind of played that up. And I think it is something that as I think about it now and in the world in which we live, you know, I find that to be a really relevant theme still, obviously, and maybe even more relevant than when this came out because people are so self-obsessed yeah. and they, you know, we're all guilty of it, right? We, the invention of the smartphone has made us really stupid and it's it's kept us all technologically focusing on all of the wrong things and mm-hmm. and you know it's it's very akin to what they talk about in interstellar where he's like we used to look up at the stars but now we're just here rolling around or you know right rolling around in the dirt basically that's a paraphrase but um yeah. so and and yeah. and that's kind of what Archer is talking about in in many ways, like, right. That's what led them to world war three. And so I really do wish that they had been able to find a way to make that more prominent because I do think it's really important. Like you said, though, they, they kind of really leaned into, or at least try to lean into the comedy in this episode. Right. And I think the other thing about the episode that is disappointing is that, Really, the comedy is, again, it feels very rote. It feels very not as well thought out, and it's kind of they're going for the low-hanging fruit mm-hmm. and or the low-hanging pecan pie uh, <laughs> being stolen, which I didn't understand <laughs> that. Why were you throwing pie into a bag? That's, like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> exactly. That was my <laughs> thought. Like, I thought that. The initial idea that he sees the because he's turned down some other things and he sees the pie and it's like, yeah, oh, maybe I want that. And then he throws it in the bag like it's not edible anymore. And then he goes back to get the other piece <laughs> also throws that in the bag. So I'm just imagining, first of all, you can't eat the pie after you've thrown it in a bag like that. But no. there's other stuff in the bag. So now you've yeah. got to clean all the pecan pie off of the other stuff. Before you can earn profit from yep. it, <laughs> that yeah. makes sense. It, I I was like I I don't I don't know uh, what you're going for here, but I'm pretty sure that's not it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I just, you were mentioning smartphones. And as you were talking, I just had this idea. You know, I think I've mentioned certainly on some of our podcasts, one of my favorite short stories is one by David Brin called The Crystal Spheres. Mm-hmm. And it's about the Fermi paradox and why, you know, what happens to civilizations. Maybe an updated version of the story could include some civilizations invent smartphones and therefore they never venture out into space because they're all staring down at their well i i mean and and, uh, you just think about that in the sense that it exactly we are just finding more and more ways to entertain ourselves it's it's basically the uh, neil postman wrote a book years ago uh now but genius and it was called amusing ourselves to death and that's mm-hmm. literally what we're doing we're amusing yeah. ourselves to death we we become such navel gazers that we can't we can't see the the reason for wanting to go to space when you think about the space race gave us all of the technology that we now take for granted and and that yeah. is just you know so again it's well, a place the space where race this and could, vulcans but yeah Yes, yes. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking I'm about Velcro, for, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm meaning necessarily for us, though. In 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 reality, that's what happened. Right. But yeah, yeah it's yeah, um, yeah. it is frustrating. You know, I do think one of the things, Chris, that the episode does do at the at the beginning is that we spend a lot of time with the Ferengis just talking Ferengi. Right. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about this because when you talk about how the episode is boring, I can completely see how the first, I didn't count the minutes, the first 15 minutes or so of this episode can really lose people because, yeah, the Ferengi, they're walking around the ship and they're talking to each other and you have no idea what they're saying, at least if you're watching the original broadcast or the English streaming. You don't know what they're saying. And I'll come back to that in a moment. I thought it was super clever. And the first time I saw it also, I thought, wow, this is really clever because Enterprise is the series that had made the point with Hoshi and the development of the UT in a number of episodes in season one to show us that our crew members didn't always just hear English everywhere they went, and they couldn't just talk to everybody. Now, most of the time, they still talk to everybody because you have to tell stories that are engaging on television. But they do take these moments to show you this is what it's really like for them. And so I thought that doing this was a smart way to show that. But I also thought it was a really gutsy and dangerous thing to do because... The number of viewers that are like me, because I actually studied language and linguistics in university and have a degree in language, so I find it really interesting. The number of viewers like me are probably very small. And most viewers are probably like, why am I just watching these guys roam around the ship and I can't understand anything that they're saying? So how did you feel about that? Do you think it was creatively interesting or Mm -hmm. did it ruin the momentum of the episode? Mm-hmm. I I really get everything that they're trying to do. Um, I just don't think it's really interestingly done because the mm-hmm. Ferengi aren't really doing anything all that interesting. And I think that's True. the problem is so if yeah. you're going to do this, it needs to feel – one, it needs to feel more menacing 
and it needs to feel more mm-hmm. interesting. And because it's the Ferengi, neither of those things are happening at this moment. Yeah, that's a great point. I I think the fact that they're not doing anything particularly interesting or menacing helps it work because we can kind of guess what they might be saying. We can follow what's going on because they're doing mundane things, roaming around the ship, grabbing things. If they were trying to disassemble the warp core, it might not work as well to have them rambling on in Ferengi with no translation. I said if you're watching the original, you don't know what they're doing because these days, although I, of course, own all the DVD and Blu-ray sets of all these, most of the time I just stream them from Netflix, Japanese Netflix, when I watch and prepare. And when I turned this one on, I thought, well, that's interesting because I have the Japanese subtitles on. That's interesting. They have translations for everything the Ferengi are saying. Where did they get those from? And then I thought, because you know I've lived my whole adult life in Japanese culture, I thought, well, of course they do. They're not going to have them just rambling. They're going to put something on the screen. So I guess someone just went through and made up dialogue based on what was happening on the screen. Because there's one scene where there are two Ferengi in the corridor, and one of them says, I think it's Ulysses, but one of them says something twice. It's exactly the same sound. And in the Japanese translation, the first time he makes the sound, it says, come on, let's go. And then he makes the sound again, and the translation says, hurry up. So that makes sense based on what you're watching. But obviously, he's making the same sounds, and that can't be the same (laughs) sound with those words in any language. And I just found it really interesting that they they captioned the entire Ferengi dialogue through the beginning of this episode. I mean, I guess it makes sense for, you know, those that don't speak English because they would just assume that it had been done incorrectly because it would, mm-hmm. you know, most likely yeah, just sound like yeah, gibberish right. to them. Exactly. You know? So... I, I do understand that, but I, yeah, yeah I, I, it's. I I think there's some interesting ideas in this episode, and in, in the the execution is just absolutely lacking. I mean, it never comes to fruition in any way mm-hmm. that they wanted, and I, that's the yeah. real problem. So let me ask you one more question before we move on from language. I know you're not a fan of Discovery, but I know that you did watch the beginning of the series. So you saw the opening where they had Klingons just speaking Klingon for a long time at the beginning. How did that compare for you in terms of like an attempt to show Mm -hmm. an alien culture speaking their language versus what Enterprise did here? Yeah, I mean, you know, with what they tried to do in Discovery... um, the fact that every time the Klingons were just on screen by themselves and they were speaking in their own language was dumb. Mm-hmm. Because because they kept doing it through the entire right, that, season, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't as though they started that way and then they did the thing. Like I always think of the brilliance, the absolute brilliance of the hunt for October, where yeah. they're yeah. speaking Russian and then they have that scene where they transition and it's like you could have absolutely done that in Discovery, and 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 we buy the convention, 
and it, it was just yeah. it was what was most frustrating about it too is that there the scenes were just it felt like they were taking forever because the characters mm-hmm. were having to speak in Klingon instead of English. Right. So well, and also you couldn't you can't watch it passively. You have to be mm-hmm. staring at the screen the whole time. Because a lot of yeah. us when we rewatch these episodes, especially the third, fourth, fifth time onward, mm-hmm. we're not yeah. sitting we're we have them playing while we're doing other things and in that case right. you can't do it. I my feeling about it was I think doing it at the beginning the very beginning opening of Discovery. Oh, absolutely. Was creatively interesting. Yes. But like you said, after that, I would have transitioned because to do it for an entire season is just tedious for the viewer. Mm-hmm. And right. I- anyway, uh, it's not a Discovery podcast, but yeah. <laughs> I, I was just, this is just one instance where it's sort of creatively mm-hmm. an attempt to do the same thing. But I think the result. The execution and the result played out differently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I I think we've covered most of the main points of this episode at this point. We have an outline and we have a bunch of things here, but we've kind of talked about continuity a good bit. Let's just talk about continuity for a moment longer in general. This is, there are two instances in Enterprise here where we have a race of aliens that were created on the next generation who appear on Enterprise. They make sure that they don't name them. But one episode, this one with the Ferengi, is largely panned by fans. The other one, Regeneration with the Borg, is often praised as being a great episode. Why do you think that's the case? And do we really need to stick to this continuity when you have mm-hmm. a, a franchise, a story that spans so much time and is always being creatively added to, always evolving. I, yeah. I, I think the biggest one is that, you know, with regeneration, it had been set up mm-hmm. pretty well mm-hmm. and it made sense. You know, logically it just felt, Oh, okay. Well, what happened to that Boris ship? What happened to the pieces that fell? And, and I think all of that, it was so easy for any fan to just in their mind immediately make that leap. So because of that connection, I think it just made more sense. Mm-hmm. Now with, you know, this, this is where it's like there there wasn't really any good connection and or reason why it should be the Ferengi. And so even though it doesn't really break any continuity, it's just I wouldn't call it the best decision that could be made mm-hmm. uh, for the aliens in this episode. And I think that's the real reason why fans obviously praise one and really enjoy one and you know, are very either, you know, nonchalant or kind of opposed to completely this. Yeah. Yeah. That is the reason I would give as well, because they did do a really nice job with regeneration of tying it into first contact. And so it, it made sense. As for the question of continuity, I think you just, 
what I don't like in fandom is the sort of gatekeeper mentality towards continuity where if something was seen on screen at any point, it can never be added to or never be altered. And I think that even if you don't have a prequel series, I think whether we're talking about individual episodes that jump back on the timeline, or if we're talking about the literature, wherever, I think it's always nice to play with that continuity a little bit. I think you have to do it carefully and do it in a smart way. And I think this one was sort of a haphazard way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's not egregious. It, you know, it doesn't break the timeline or continuity. It just feels, eh. You know, I don't like yeah. the word meh at all, but that's just uh-huh. kind of... The, the the whole episode just kind of has this feeling of banality to it, which yeah. I think so far in Enterprise, even with episodes that I have not really enjoyed or haven't been my favorite so far this season, I haven't felt that, right? Like even Terra mm-hmm. Nova, which was not one of our favorite episodes this season, at least was trying to do something interesting, trying and uh, you know to kind of tell a story that connected with the past for them, first humans in space. I mean, they're really playing with a bunch of ideas there. And so again, even though might not all come together the way we would want, you had the, the, you could feel the thought process to it. You could feel mm-hmm. the, the, the fact that somebody had put some thought into this and it felt like it was really, they were trying something. So, Hey, shoot for the fences. It doesn't always work. That's fine. This is where it's like, we we were we were going for the single and <laughs> we were going it, for the single and it was a right. missed bunt you know like um that that's just that's kind of where we i feel uh, yeah so yeah well and since football season is winding down here with the NFL it's sort of like it's the end of the game and you can win it on a field goal and like you're you're running it right up the middle to move the ball to the center of the field so you can attempt that 54-yard field goal, right? <laughs> In the snow. <laughs> and maybe you're going to get it, and maybe you're not. Yeah, I, I, right. I think you're giving the episode way too much credit with that analogy, Chris. <laughs> that's at least exciting. <laughs> oh, there's that's a, true. There's that a, would be exciting, right? Yeah, there's an actual chance there. This, okay. this one So how about this one? Yeah. You're, you're, you're lining up dead center... It's a sunny day, uh, perfect weather, no wind. You're lining up that eight-yard field goal, and then you shank it. How's that? that? Yep. See, that's pretty much it. Yep. Yep. There you go. You nailed it. All right. Okay. Well, those sound kind of like final thoughts. Do we have any other final thoughts about this episode, Matthew? You know, I, I mean, I hate to give this episode a rating because it's just going to sound super harsh. But I think that this is probably a one and a half out of five. <laughs> uh, be, and and the one and a half just comes from that the actors are, are giving this everything. And in many ways, I almost felt like the actors in some scenes, especially Scott Bakula, there were almost moments where he was like winking at the camera being like, I know this is bad. Just <laughs> yeah, go with yeah, us. Yeah, you feel that, don't you? Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I think I've shared everything I need to say about this one today. I'm going to give it five plates of pecan pie thrown into a bag. Uh, now I give it five because for me, it's just a, it's just an episode, right? Like, I don't think it's a terrible episode. I don't think it's a good episode either. It's just there. It's just filling out the season because we need to have a certain number yeah. of episodes. And what are we going to do? I do think it's symbolic, however, of how Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, as much as they tried and succeeded mm-hmm. to get away from what they had been writing for so many years, still at times struggled to do so. Like it's easy mm-hmm. to fall back. Yes. Yep into the familiar and maybe when you're feeling pressed for stories how do we get enough stories to fill out the season mm-hmm. it is easy to to fall back on some stuff that you know well and and that you think maybe some fans will like this connection to what they know so yeah no i think you're 100 percent right yeah All right. Well, we would love to know what you think about acquisition. If you'd like to share your thoughts, there are many ways to do that. The best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That's our closed listeners group. If you're already a member, you know how it works. We'll put up a post for this episode and you can add your comments to that post. If you're not a member, type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come up. It is a closed group, so please do answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. You can also send us email if you'd like. You can go to our website, trek.fm slash contact, use the form there, and choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Matthew and me by email. And of course, you can find us everywhere on social media under the username trekfm, and Twitter is a great place to connect with us. And also, Matthew operates our Instagram feed, so check us out there if you're on Instagram. Now, Matthew, when you're not trying to figure out how to communicate with Porthos, where can people find you? <laughs> well, uh, it's it's always difficult, although uh, pretty much it's always just he wants cheese. So uh, you can find <laughs> right. me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 Instagram, Letterbox, Vero, all of those places. Uh, you can also find me here on the network with our whole other side of the network, not devoted to Star Trek. It's devoted to all those other fandoms we love. That's called the 602 Club. Uh, and of course, uh, you can find the bonus shows we do there as well inside that same feed with Snyder Cuts as well as Assembling Avengers. And then also doing Literary Treks as well as The Orb. Uh, literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then, of course, Chris, you and I are talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine over on The Orb. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I've got a couple of shows. One is a finished show I did with Drea Kaufman. We talked about the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. Uh, And you can also find me doing Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. Chris, when you're not trying to find uh, your way out of the decon chamber, where can people find you? Why would you ever want to leave the decon chamber? It's so warm and cozy in there. I don't know. I mean, it, no it one's does asking you to do seem, anything. <laughs> it does seem like it's pretty cozy in there. I think so. Yeah. Well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me here on the network, as you mentioned, doing the orb with you, talking Deep Space Nine, occasionally popping in on literary treks, although it's been a while on that one. Larry Nemechek and I do the ready room from time to time. 
I also have a show called Interphase and various other things going on. And I've also been working behind the scenes on something that we're going to be rolling out here very shortly now that I'm excited about. So check all of those out if you're interested in my thoughts on other parts of Star Trek. You can also find me on Twitter. My username there is C. Brian Jones, letter C and Brian with a Y. I'd love to talk to you about Star Trek or anything you want to talk about on there. Just hit me up. That's my name everywhere in social media, but Twitter's where I'm most active. And of course, I do pop into the Babel Conference. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on our Enterprise Rewatch there on Facebook. Now, if you'd like to help us keep all of this going, we could definitely use your help. If you'd like to find out how to get involved in the network, please visit patreon.com slash trekfm, where you can support what we're doing. It does take a great deal of money to operate the network, and we do have other things coming up where we can use some assistance. So please check that out, patreon.com slash trekfm, and I want to send out a huge thank you to everyone who is supporting us right now. We really could not keep the network going without your help, so thank you so much. Well, Matthew, I'm going to go check, make sure all the holographic projectors are working okay, because we're going to be visiting an oasis next week. Well, Chris, that seems like a great idea, because I don't know, I feel like I'm in a glass cage of emotion, so let's go. 